Well, what's up, Element Church? If you're new here, my name is Jeff Manis, lead pastor here at Element. So thankful that all of you are here with us today. That includes those of you joining us via video, whether you're joining on Facebook Live, the church website, or right here in the building somewhere. You're a part of our home, and we are so glad that you have joined us today. Uh, if you're using Facebook Live, do us a huge favor. Click that share button. Just lets other people know about what God's doing right here at Element Church. Today, we're starting a new sermon series called Contentment, The Lie About Having More. And isn't that really how we tend to operate? Our default response as human beings tends to be, if I just had more, or if I just had that, then I would have enough. Then I would be content. But it's actually a con It's why every year we are told why the car we bought last year or the phone we upgraded to last time or the toy we bought our kids last Christmas is no longer what we need. That if I just had that model or could live in that house or use that phone or make that much money or be in that relationship or live in that community, then I'd be happy. Then I'd have enough then I'd be content. But more is never the answer to contentment. Why? Because there's always something what? More. There's always something more. Now, I truly do believe that at the, uh, the heart of who we are as humans, all of us, we long for contentment. But it's also something that every one of us struggles with. We might struggle with it at different levels over different things in different ways, but we all struggle with contentment. So how do we overcome that if we want to live a contented life? That's what we're talking about in the series. And hopefully this series will be super practical for us. My prayer is it will be encouraging to us and helpful as we kind of kick off the new year, first sermon series of the new year, exposing the con in contentment. Well, over a decade ago now, uh, back when I was a youth pastor, we took a group of students down to Atlanta, Georgia, to partner with a missions organization for a week-long inner-city missions trip. And we went down a couple days early before the mission began to kind of, you know, take the group and enjoy the, the big city amenities and activities that we don't have here in Wyoming. And one of the nights we were down there, we took our whole group out to eat at a restaurant called the ESPN Zone. Now, we used to have one in Denver. I don't know if there's any others around anymore, but they used to have a restaurant that ESPN owned, and it was just this ESPN sports theme bar and grill. Think Buffalo Wild Wings on steroids. That's what the ESPN zone was. And so we took our group of 12 or 13 of us out to the ESPN zone. And our group was large enough that we couldn't fit in the regular seating area. So they escorted us back to this private room. It was like floor to ceiling, glass windows. You could see in and and out. But the noise of the restaurant was diminished. It really felt like, you know, we were these super important people going back to this private room. That's what it felt like. So we got into the room, sat down at the table. I was at the head of our table. There was only one other group in this entire room. They were seated to, to my left. And so our waitress comes in. We had our own waitress in just for our room. She came in. She took our drink orders. She, she told us the specials, etc. Then she left to go to get our drinks. She came back with our drinks. And after she had given us all our drinks, I noticed 
that it seemed like this young waitress was giving me the eye, like she was checking me out or something. She was like looking at me, and then she was writing on a piece of paper, like a note, and then she gave me, she set a note down next to me on my right, and I'm like, what in the world is, is she giving me her number? What's going on right now? And so I looked down at the note she wrote me, and it said, she just wrote the words, or the name, Luis Gonzalez, with an arrow pointing towards me. Now, if you don't know, Luis Gonzalez was a major league baseball player uh, in the early 2000s, played for the Arizona Diamondbacks, and the Diamondbacks just happened to be in town, in Atlanta, playing the Braves that week. And so my immediate reaction was, she thinks I'm Luis Gonzalez. Like, what is going on right now? Okay? And so she, she leaves, and I, I show somebody else at our table the note, and I said, I told this other person, I, I think she thinks... I'm Luis Gonzalez. Like, what do I do? Now, I got a picture of Luis Gonzalez. Here's a picture of Luis Gonzalez. I had a goatee at the time, and his nose is giant and crooked like mine is. But I think we would all agree, while there's some similarities, I'm way better looking than Luis Gonzalez is. But anyway, you can see how there might have been some similarities. So as she's gone, I'm thinking... How do I let this young lady down easily? Like, I don't want to break her heart, you know? So, like, when she walks in, do I, do I just nonchalantly point at my ring, like, hey, I'm married? Do I, I write a note back, you know, taken, sorry? I didn't know what to do with this lady who thought I was Luis Gonzalez. So she comes back in this time. I'm trying to figure out, like, what... If she thinks I'm this guy, like, what do I do? I don't say anything. What do I do? So she comes back in, and she had taken our orders and everything, and it looks like she's given me the eye again. I'm like, this girl is hitting on me. What is going on right now? She started doing this with her eyes in her head. She started doing this. I'm like, so I look over the table next to us, and there at the table next to us with his group was, guess who? Luis Gonzalez. (laughs) So I lock eyes with Luis Gonzalez, and he says, Jeff Manis? Just kidding, he didn't say that, but that'd be awesome. <laughs> I was so happy to see Luis Gonzalez there, not because I'm a fan, but because I completely misunderstood what this young girl was trying to tell me, and I could have misused that information to make an utter fool out of myself at the ESPN Zone. I just chose to make a fool of myself in front of you on the platform. So here's how this relates to, to contentment, okay? The reality is, if you misunderstand what something means, you can misuse what it is. And that's why I think so many times we struggle with contentment. We don't know what it really means. And so if we don't know what it means, we can't live in the full potential of what it is. Did you know the Bible actually commands us to be content? Do you know what? It's kind of scary, actually. So if you're here and you would say, well, I don't believe in God, I don't follow the Bible, I hope you understand that you can benefit from contentment whether you believe in God or not, right? Like there's a benefit to being content. So if you, if you don't believe, man, you are loved here. We are thrilled that you are here. I hope that you'll see in this sermon and in our whole series, if you stick around for that, which we'd, we'd love for you to, I hope you'll see there's benefits to contentment. But for those of us in the room, me included, who are believers, we are commanded by God to be content. This is a hard message, a hard series to prepare for because we are uncontented people in America. We are uncontented people. So Hebrews 13 verse 5, Hebrews, it's proof in the Bible that we should drink coffee because he brews, bad pastor joke. 
Hebrews 13, verse 5. I'm feeling onward today, just so you know. It says this, keep your lives free from the love of money. So not free from money, but free from loving money. And be content with what you have. It's a command. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we hear that, and if we don't know what contentment means, we can misuse that verse in our lives, not only for ourselves, but we can then project onto other people what contentment means for them. I think sometimes we hear content, and we believe that it means I should never have more, that money's the problem, that money is bad. And if we think that, it can lead us to what's called a poverty theology. Now, maybe you've heard of what's called the prosperity gospel or prosperity theology. I'm going to be careful in what I say, but if you watch some late night TV preaching, you'll hear prosperity theology. Okay, it's real. And prosperity theology is God's will is for us to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and wise. And if you truly love God, you'll experience all four of those things. And if you're not experiencing those things, there's something wrong with your faith. That God wants you to be wealthy, so if you're not, you're outside of God's will. That's a real theology and very dangerous. On the other side of the pendulum, if we're not careful, we then fall for the, the, the poverty theology. And the poverty theology is real and just as dangerous. It says this, the less I have, the more godly I am. That people who have money, people who have possessions, if they really loved God, they wouldn't have all that. That they must not be content because look how much they have. That's also just as dangerous and just as real. So God is not pro-poverty, nor is he pro-prosperity. Are you ready for this? God is pro-contentment. He's pro-contentment. Ecclesiastes 5.19, King Solomon, who was the son of King David who slayed Goliath, Solomon, the wisest man we are told who ever lived, says this in verse 19, and it is a good thing to receive wealth from God and the good health to enjoy it. So we see right there in scripture, there's nothing wrong with having wealth or having health and the ability to enjoy it. But he goes on and says this, to enjoy your work and accept your lot in life. In other words, be content. This is indeed a gift from God. So God is not pro-poverty. He is not pro-prosperity. God is pro-contentment that I would just be content with what I have. So here's the big idea today. It will kind of be the foundation that uh, births everything else we'll talk about. It's on the screens if you want to write it down, and it's this. Contentment doesn't mean I can never have more. It's just being okay with what I've already got. That contentment doesn't mean I can never have more. It's just being okay with what I've already got. Now, this is not on the screens. It's the only verse today that will not be on the screens, but verse 20 of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, so we just read verse 19, that it's good to receive wealth and health, but we should just enjoy our work and accept our lot in life, that we should be content, okay? The very next verse, verse 20, says this, God keeps such people so busy enjoying life, they take no time to brood over the past. That God keeps contented people so busy enjoying life, they don't notice what they don't 
have. They are content with what they've got. So if understanding contentment is so important, and if contentment doesn't mean that I can never have more, we got to answer this big question today. What should I know about contentment? What should I know about contentment? We're going to see three things in Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 20. So Philippians is found in the New Testament portion of the Bible. The New Testament is the books of Matthew through Revelation. And if you don't have your own Bible, you can follow along on the screens. If you don't own a Bible, we'll give you one for free today. Ask for one at guest services. We'll give you one free of charge. You can download one too. It's free called Version. right onto your smartphone or tablet. Uh, you can follow along there. Here in Philippians, a little bit of background. There's an apostle named Paul who is literally, this is a letter that he wrote to a group of Christians in a town called Philippi, hence the name of the book Philippians. And you might say, well, why should I listen to Paul talk about contentment? And here's why. Because as we read this passage of scripture, you need to know that Paul was writing this letter from a prison cell in Rome around 60 AD, and he was put there for preaching the gospel of Jesus. And I am in no way saying that today's prisons are like the Hilton, but we're not talking modern day prison. We're talking about prison in first century, uh, first century Rome, which had been dark, dirty, dungy, filthy. Like if you had food and clothing, that was a luxury to have in this day and age. That's where Paul was writing from, teaching on being content. And he says this, Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. So he's not pro-poverty, he's not pro-prosperity, he's pro-contentment. And he says this, again, I have learned. Help me out and say learned. I've learned the secret of living in every situation whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, and now he's going to share the secret. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That's Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do everything, or maybe you've heard it, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Now that verse, Philippians 4, 13, as Christians, we have been great in our lifetimes of using that verse for just about everything in life except contentment. Like if you watch the NFL playoff games today, if you watch, I think today is the, the Cowboys and Packers, and then tonight is Chiefs, Steelers, is that right? Got four games today. I was hoping Patriots would lose yesterday, but God did not see to do that, so we're going to pray for it next week, but whatever. So today, you might see some football players who uh, write on their eye black Philippians 4.13. Or, or they'll put it on their shoes, Philippians 4.13, that because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I will win this game. My question is, what if there's another believer on the other team who writes the same thing? I guess we'll see who God loves the most, right? I love you more than him. Or, or you, in high school or college, you didn't study for the test at all, but you claim Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Or you fall in love with someone only to find out they own a cat, but I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> Told you I was feeling honoring. 
Now, can I, can I get through difficult situations in life because of Jesus? Absolutely, I can. But this verse was not written for a football game or a test I didn't study for or a difficult situation in life. This verse was written and tied to a teaching about contentment. That I've learned to be content with whatever I have. For I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So contentment doesn't mean I can never have more. I know there's a fine line here that we have to figure out. It's just being okay with what I've already got. So three things we've got to know about contentment. Here's the first one. It is a process. It's a process. Paul said, I have learned to be content. First of all, when I was preparing for this message, this was incredibly encouraging to me. Because it means that I don't have to go from where I am today to being content in a prison cell tomorrow with just food and clothes. That this is a process that I have to learn how to be content. But it's also challenging to me, because I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how content I would be tomorrow in a prison cell with just food and clothes. That means I've got some learning to do. I'm still in the process. I hope you are as well. And and listen, when I say that, that contentment is a process, this is not an excuse for us to stay where we are. This should be a challenge to us to move where we need to be in contentment. And why do we have to learn to be content? Because I've yet to discover a human being that's natural at contentment, right? Any parent will tell you this. Like parents in the room, no one has to tell you that we are born sinful, selfish, and greedy. Just watch your two-year-old, right? Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? Like after the words mama, dada, and no, the next word we learn is mine. That's mine. It's mine, right? And the reason we, we have those words that we learn is we are born selfish, Selfishness leads to greed. Greed leads to coveting. Coveting is born out of comparison. And when I live my life in comparison, I will be uncontent. I'll be uncontent with what I have. If I just had what they had, then I'd be happy. You ever watch kids play? That sounds super creepy. Let me reword it. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Let me paint a scenario for you, because that was way creepy. And let's see then if you've ever seen this play out before. There's a couple of kids playing in a room, okay, a couple of kids playing in a room. And kid one has a toy, and kid two comes to kid one and wants to play with that toy. But kid one says, no, it's what? It's mine. It's mine. So parent, babysitter, whatever in the room, they find a different toy for kid two to play with. And now kid two's playing with the toy. And kid one sees kid two playing with a different toy. And all of a sudden, the toy they wouldn't part with is no longer good enough. They want that toy. Now, as we get older, the toys might change. But is that not how we live our lives as human beings? I want that toy. I want what they have. The majority of us, I'm going to say this pretty confidently, the majority of us in the room, in fact, I would say probably over 90% of us within the sound of my voice have all we need and more. 
that not only do we have food and clothing, but we have this thing called discretionary income. That, that not only do we buy clothes we need, we actually get to buy clothes we want, clothes that are in style, or at least we think are in style. We need to have some conversations with some of you in the room. That's another section, another time. We get to go out to eat, maybe not as much as we want, but we get to go out to eat and pay someone else to make us food because we didn't have enough food in our pantry when we opened it up and it was full of food. We got nothing to eat, we say. We open our closets full of clothes. I got nothing to wear right? We, we not only have homes, but most of us have homes for our cars called garages. Some people have homes for the stuff that don't fit in their homes called storage units. We have phones that not only talk to people, which is what a phone is supposed to be, but now they're connected to all the information on the planet with unlimited entertainment and gaming. And listen, there's nothing wrong with everything I just said that we have. Yet, we have all that. Yet, we see what someone else has. And we say, what I have is not enough. It's not enough. Contentment doesn't mean I can never have more. It just means I'm okay with what I already got. So what should I know about contentment? It's a process. And man, am I learning in this process. And listen, church, this process is fueled by the power of Jesus Christ. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Listen, you can't have contentment. I'll, I'll put a caveat in there. You will not have prison contentment without the power of Jesus Christ. It's possible. So then Paul continues writing this letter, Philippians 4, 14 through 18. Even so, you've done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for all your kindness. Then he says this. At the moment, and I'll remind us, he's writing from prison. At the moment, I have all I need and more. And the mental picture that he's communicating in the original Greek language is, I have all I need and it is overflowing in prison. I have all I need and more. I'm generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So here's the second thing we've got to know about contentment. We see it right here in these verses. It is powerful. Contentment is a powerful thing. Now, this next statement, you're going to want to write this down because this is so, so good. If you love Jesus, you'll write it down. Just kidding, but you should. <laughs> Put it on Facebook or something, but here it is. Paul's contentment was so powerful that it overcame his containment. Paul's contentment was so powerful, it overcame the containment of his prison cell. That sitting in prison, he wrote, I have all I need and it is overflowing. Now if I was one of the listeners of this letter, 
Like, uh, imagine when Paul wrote this letter, he didn't know it would be in this thing called the Bible someday, and we'd be preaching a message about it. He was literally writing a letter to Christians in Philippi who would have received that letter, gathered together like us in a home or a public setting, and read that letter aloud. If I would have heard Paul, uh, if I would have heard what he wrote, that I have all I need and more, I would have asked the question, what about your freedom, Paul? You're in prison. You don't even want freedom? Like, I know you said you were stoned. I didn't think it was that kind. Like, are you out of your mind, Paul? What is going on right now? I, I read this morning, I read all of Philippians 1 through 4 just to find out, if, did Paul even ask them to pray for his freedom? And the answer is no. He didn't even ask them to pray for freedom. Why? I don't know if this is why, but this is, this is my answer. Paul didn't need to be physically free. He was modeling for the Philippians and ultimately for us what it looks like to be spiritually free. That his chains had already fallen off spiritually. He didn't need them to fall off physically. It's a spiritual principle that relates to our financial, physical, and relational lives. This goes far beyond money, folks. I know we're using money as kind of the illustration. But Paul didn't compare his current situation with someone else's. He didn't say, oh, how I long to be free like you Philippians are. He was already free. He didn't long to have what the Philippians had. He longed for the Philippians to have what God had given him, freedom, contentment. Chains fell off. He knew that contentment overcomes coveting. You want to stop coveting what someone else has? Learn to be content with what you've already got. And listen, you'll know that you are starting to become more content when you can truly celebrate what other people get that you don't have. And I'm not talking lip service on Facebook. Oh, so excited for your new house. That's awesome. And you get off and be like, wish I had a house like that. <laughs> I hear people say things like this all the time, and I know that we say them because I've said them before too. Okay, So when I preach this, I'm preaching to me as much as you. But here's some things I hear people say all the time. Well, if I had that much money, I wouldn't waste it on that. Well, they must not be content. Look what they just bought. Must be nice being able to go on that vacation. Wish I could afford that car. Or let me give you the Christian way of hiding our jealousy. We're experts at this. Do you know how many people they could have helped with the amount of money they just spent? Let me tell you who else made that statement in Scripture. His name's Judas. It's funny how as Christians we can get so concerned for helping people when we are spending someone else's money in our own mind. You want to gauge your level of contentment? You want to gauge your level? What's your reaction when someone else gets a new car and you don't? They go on a dream vacation and you stayed home. They moved to a new house and you're still in your same old house or apartment. 
or wherever you live. And listen, this is beyond finance. Single people, what's your reaction when someone gets married and you're still single? When someone gets to move to a new city and you're stuck in the city that you hate living in? When they get a promotion and you're passed by? When they get recognized and you don't and you feel like you worked way harder than they did? And that'll start to reveal a lot about how content you are. So much of what we think we need and what we believe we want is based solely on what other people have. Like if we couldn't see what everyone else had, we wouldn't even want it. We only want it because we see it and compare it to what we have. Paul, Paul had a powerful contentment. So powerful that for him, there was no reason to covet what someone else had, even their freedom, because he was perfectly content right where he was at in a prison cell. I have all I need, and it's overflowing. Church, I want that kind of contentment. I want that. And I say I want it because I can't say I'm there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm on this journey with you. And then Philippians 4 19 and 20 says this, and this same God who takes care of me, in other words, the same God who gave me the ability to be content while in prison, will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. That contentment doesn't mean I can never have more. It's just being okay with what I've already got. So what should I know about contentment? It's a process that I've learned to be content. It's powerful that I can actually stop comparing my life to someone else's when I'm content. And number three is this, it's producing. It's producing. That being content doesn't produce more treasures in my life. We're masters, again, as Christians, we are masters at trying to figure out how to manipulate God. That if I can convince God I'm content, he'll give me more stuff. Guess what? Don't work, okay? He kind of he knows our heart, right? So being content doesn't produce more treasures in life. Listen, being content produces more trust in the one who gives the treasure. That I trust him. One of the reasons we are so uncontent, discontent, whatever the proper word would be, because we struggle trusting God. That I trust you to give me Everything I need according to your will. And when we don't trust him, we look at stuff. If I just had that, if I just had that, if I just go there, if I could just live there, if I could just, if I could just, then I'd be, no. Paul said, the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs according to the riches he has given us in Christ Jesus. That means, listen, everything we need has already been given in Christ. It's already been given. That I have all I need because Christ came for me. 
That's why Paul could be content sitting in a prison cell because he recognized, I don't need freedom. I don't need food. I don't need clothing. I have what I need. His name is Jesus. I want to get there. I want to get there. And listen, I understand, you know, that maybe, maybe there's somebody in our room that tomorrow will be in prison. But I can almost guarantee you nobody here is going to prison tomorrow for preaching the gospel. So I get that. I get we're talking about extreme situations that, well, what if I'm in prison and all I got is food and clothing? I better be content. We're not getting there tomorrow. I understand that. But folks, we might be there someday. None of us are guaranteed a job tomorrow. None of us are guaranteed the stock market will work. 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years from now. None of us are guaranteed that we'll have a house or a home or food or clothes. You know what we are guaranteed to have? Jesus. So I better find my contentment there. Better find it there. When you are content with what you have because of Jesus, you'll be more consistent in your ability to trust him. When you're content with what he gave you, You'll trust him for what you need, for what you need. I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I just want to ask you this question. Where are you at on the generosity, or on the contentment scale? Where are you at on the contentment scale? One being I have insatiable greed for everything I see. <laughs> Ten being I could be in a prison cell tomorrow with food and clothes. I'd be content. Okay? Where are you on the contentment scale? And I would not answer that yourself. I'd ask God to help you answer that. And then ask God, what's my next step to go one more point in the process? What's my next step to go one more point in the process that I'm learning to be content? And listen, this might mean that you need to have a conversation with your spouse of, hey, we're no longer going to pursue these things or this thing. Or we're no longer going to compare ourselves to what so-and-so has. Or we're no longer going to comment on what they do with their money. Or we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just be more thankful every day for whatever it is. You're going to have to do something to take a step. But what's that step? What's that step? And maybe memorize Philippians 4.13. It's a great next step for all of us. Memorize Philippians 4.13. It's really easy. You probably have it already memorized. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And I would, I would love to buy that car. No, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And I can't believe they spent their money. Oh, no, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. No, if I just had that, no, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Challenge you to memorize that verse. Apply it to your Life. Let me pray for you and then remain seated. Pastor Brennan's got some closing remarks. God, you're amazing. The fact that you can take a guy like Paul in a prison cell in 60 AD and teach us a lesson about commitment, contentment in January 2017 boggles my mind. So thanks, God, that you, your word is relevant to our everyday lives. Lord, help me as the leader of my home and the leader of this church to be content doesn't mean I can never have more, but Lord, help me be okay, satisfied with what I've already got. 
Lord, help us continue the process. I pray that it would be so powerful we would stop the comparison game. And Lord, may it produce in us a trust in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys.